why would a talented young person want to be a journalist? We're about to find out. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. Had a former news news director who used to call this navel-gazing when you have somebody from inside your own shop uh, as a podcast guest. But our guest today is Blake Eason. Blake is our one of our co-hosts for the morning show. He's a talented, and I, and I don't say that lightly, he is a very talented young journalist. It's going to be fun to see where he winds up down the road. But, Blake, uh, welcome to the Chuck Williams Show. Chuck, you know, I, if I could have pin, picked my day when I woke up this morning, I did not anticipate sitting here. Nonetheless... <laughs> Here we are. Glad to be here, Chuck. No other person I want to spend my afternoon with than you. Typically, we go to coffee in the morning, but hey, I'll take it now. Full disclosure, he's the substitution guest. (laughs) That's how I made my appearance on the Chuck Williams show. You know, it's interesting, though, because you've been here a little over a year now, right? I mean, uh, you came pretty much out of college. Um, You're... If you look at our crop right now of young reporters and young um, young talent, um, and I and I hate saying that word because you know it's so much more than talent with the young folks we're hiring right now. You're one of the few that's Georgia born, Georgia bred. Yep. I mean, tell me a little bit about where you're from and kind of and wh- which what led you to college in the metro Atlanta area. So, grew up in Warner Robins, Georgia, which, as you know, is not too far from Columbus. Uh, grew up there and went to school at Northside High School. Uh, my first um, ever time ever coming to Columbus was in theater because at Northside had a very big theater program, and we came. So, you're one of the Thescon kids. Yes. That you do. You like those kids? I love Thescon okay, kids, good. and they bring a lot of money to our community. Yeah, so Thescon was the first time I ever came to Columbus, senior year of high school, and it was awesome. I really loved Columbus, but I'd never thought in a million years, I'd, that would be where my first career would land me. Tell people what Thescon is. So Thescon's a big theater convention uh, in Columbus, and it's awesome. There's theater kids from, I believe, all over the state that come and essentially infiltrate Columbus. They're everywhere downtown, and it's awesome. Um, there's workshops, there's classes, there's shows. All the theaters downtown have different shows playing, and if your show is lucky enough, you get a chance to perform at Thescon. And so... Um, I have a quick funny story about that. Uh, we performed The Music Man uh, at Thescon my senior year of high school. I was Charlie Cowell in The Music Man, and the way it works, I believe it, the way it works then at least, was when you perform at Thescon, you perform two back-to-back shows because there are two separate tracks that people are on so that everyone can get a chance to see the shows if they choose to do so. Um, and so you do two back-to-back shows, and for the very first show, we were at the, um, gosh, what's the name of the main performing arts center? River Center. The River Center. We were there doing the show. And, I mean, completely sold out of high school kids from all over the state. I go out to do my line in the show, completely forget my lines. Com- I, I, I wish I was joking with you. Like, not a single word came out. So much so that the ensemble behind me, my good friend Scarlett, we still laugh about it to this day, she had to say some random line to get me back on track to get the scene moving again because the show completely was at a standstill because I just forgot my lines. And then sure enough, after the show, I beat myself up about it, and then I got a little pep talk, and we came back out in there and did the second show, and it went well. But I thought I, I will. I just seen that. I've never seen you speechless. It was literally, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was literally speechless. I hope to never see that footage ever. But, you know, I've had that happen to me. We were, I can't remember who the, camera guy was but we were out doing uh uh live hit at six and literally when the camera went on there was nothing in my head i couldn't say a word i just sat there and looked like an idiot it's and it happens i mean you can just everything can go out of your head at once everything and and that's exactly exactly what it was the only difference between me and you is you probably didn't have an ensemble member there to there to save you. <laughs> I think I had Kevin looking at me like I was an idiot. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Roval, our chief photographer. Uh, um, you went to Kennesaw State. Yes, sorry. Got lost in the thought. So, yes, uh, graduated high school, uh, went to Kennesaw State. My academic advisor was very transparent with me and said, there's no sense in you even applying to Georgia. Your GPA is nowhere near high enough to even be considered to get in. She was like, allow me to save you some money. Don't apply. 
And I thought, well, okay, that's one way to not tell someone to go to <laughs> go to Georgia. So I applied to Kennesaw State, and I got in um, and went to Kennesaw State. Had no idea I wanted to be a journalist. At first, I thought I wanted to be a teacher because in my mind, if I could be a teacher, I could then become a principal. Uh, but I didn't want to, to teach. I just wanted to become a principal. I don't know why that is. Um, realized that that wasn't the route I wanted to go. I thought maybe I should do business because business felt like a very general degree to get. Uh, took uh, economics and quickly learned that uh, I'm not good at math, therefore I don't want to do business. Economics ran me out of business too. Mm -hmm. Yep, so I'll never forget. I just thought this will be the end. Then I thought I'll do PR. That sounds kind of fun, right? Um, and then I was I was studying PR, and I met with an uh, academic advisor in the social sciences department at Kennesaw State, and she says, hey – it sounds like as you're describing your career that maybe you want to study journalism. She's like, it sounds like you like talking to people, you like telling stories, uh, you like meeting new people. Are you sure you haven't considered journalism? And I thought, no, like there's, I don't think I'm a good writer. I don't think there's ever, in my mind, a journalist was someone who wrote for the local newspaper. And my hometown, the Telegraph was what we received. Macon Telegraph. Macon Telegraph. Um, and I just thought that would be cool, but I don't think there's no way I could ever I'm not that strong of a writer to be a journalist. And she said, no, there's all these different areas of journalism. And she says, if I was you, I don't want to pick PR just yet. Go home over Christmas break. Think about journalism. And I'm telling you, I really think you should research it. And so I went home over Christmas break, studied the world of journalism, and completely fell in love with it. Found broadcast journalism. I knew I always loved watching the news growing up, but I didn't know why I liked liking watching the news. Um, I think there was a part of me being in theater, like that performing, that entertaining part, um, that all started to kind of align. And then with, with people and telling stories, uh, I came back in January. I said, I, I want to study journalism. Changed the course, and that was when it begun. Jur being a journalist, um, is it different than you thought it was going to be when you were looking at it as a possibility? Is the reality of it different than the initial thoughts well i think growing going to school in atlanta afforded me a lot of opportunities to pursue internships in atlanta and so i i worked in radio for a couple of years uh that was a lot of fun um i worked in i interned at cnn um for a semester and so i think you know doing that really kind of showed me several different aspects of the business you have radio you have tv you have local news you have, sorry, I just ate Arby's. I, I scarfed it down my throat because I was told I was doing a podcast with someone. So please excuse me as my heart rate catches up to my food that I just in, inhaled. Acid reflux is tough. Isn't it? No, it's horrible. I told you it was going to happen. Um, but I would say when I was doing radio, I thought, no, I think I want to do, I had, I had studied so many folks in the business from, from David Muir to Robin Roberts to Peter Jennings, Diane Sawyer, all these folks, and you listen to their story and they say, I always went local first. I went local first. I went local first. But in our group of journalists at Kennesaw State, now so many folks go so many different routes. You don't necessarily have to go local first. And so if you would have asked me when I was studying journalism at Kennesaw, I didn't I didn't think I wanted to go local because that would mean having to move to a small town uh, where I didn't know anybody. I had such a great community in Atlanta. And so I thought, maybe I'll just try to make it work here with the, you know, the opportunities I've had via internships. Well, the pandemic came into play in 2020 and everything went away. And I think that was when it became super crystal clear that what I wanted to do was essentially be on the front lines of it and tell the stories of what's happening around the world. Um, and the only way I knew how to do that was to try to get a job in local news somewhere. Uh, everybody else was not hiring, but local news was hiring because there were so many stories to be told. And so that started the process of me. I knew at that point, without, without a doubt, I want to go the local route. I don't care if I have to move to the middle of nowhere, across the country, away from friends and family. This is what I want to do. I applied to well over probably 100 jobs throughout the time from when I lost my jobs in March, when the pandemic set in, until August, uh, well over 100. I mean, you know, apply for the job, connect with the news director on LinkedIn, follow up emails, would get nothing back, not a single call back. Finally, I got a call back, and it was from WRBL um, here in Columbus. Our, news, our former news director, Gene Kirkconnell, gave me a call, and he says, hey, man, I'm going to be honest with you. He was like, 
it looks as if your reel doesn't really complement the route that you're saying you want to go. My reel was way more entertainment-based. It had way more radio, kind of personality, lifestyle in it. He was like, are you sure you want to do this? It, like, you, you would essentially be choosing a completely different side of journalism than what you've already chosen. And I said, no, I promise, this is what I want to do. And he says, okay. He was like, well, uh, if you're interested, uh, send me a package, you know, find a story, send it over to me. And if you're in, after that, if you want to come down and tour the station, you're more than welcome to. Did not know it was an interview by any means. My mind was, I'll just come and tour the station, visit Columbus, and see what, see what it has to offer. I knew I, I had a little bit of experience yeah. in Columbus because of Thescon. Um, so came down here and uh, met the team, and believe I met you. Uh, met so many of the folks here, and um, while I was here, I was given a writing test, was given an anchor test, and I thought, wow, I was not anticipating any of that. And then walked away and thought, wow, that could be fun. But, you know, the rate I was going, applying to so many jobs, I didn't. I didn't think it, I didn't think it was going to happen. And then about a week later, Gene called me back and offered me a job uh, and came down here. And it has been everything I hoped for it to be and so much more. I don't think I could have anticipated any of the stories that we had a chance to cover last year from being thrown into it immediately out the gate, obviously having to learn the efforts of enterprising, which is a completely separate story than covering the story of the day, but also covering the story of the day um, covering COVID-19 as that's literally unfolding as it goes up and down right in front of us, uh, covering the 2020 election. Obviously, Georgia you, was a crucial place to be. You got, you know, it struck me just kind of as you came in, you know, you can look at young reporters and sort of see what they're interested in and where they gravitate. You clearly had an interest in politics. Where's that come from? You know, I don't know because I, I didn't naturally – grow up watching politics. Politics was not a big conversation in our household growing up. Um, so I don't know where it came from, but I think I definitely did get bit by the politics bug when I started. Well, you know, and it's funny because, I mean, many years of covering politics, I was bit by it too because we were clearly seeing something once we got out of, um, got out of the November general and then you had those two dueling Senate races, we were seeing something, you know, you know, things are different when you look up and CNN's in front of your civic center, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, they're doing, they're pulling us off around and doing interviews, you know, it was clear that we were in the middle of a very big national story. And that's kind of where you want to be as a reporter, particularly a local reporter. Is, is that not right to you? Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, you know, obviously being being sent to, to Atlanta to cover, you know, the way we did team coverage that night from all of us being at the respective campaigns for the general election in, in 2020 in November, I mean, it was awesome just, you know, seeing where you were at, where Shakira was at, where I was at, where Liz was at. Um, I, was was, at I was at Warnock. Liz was with Tuberville. Yep. You were with Purdue. Purdue. And Shakira was with Doug Jones, Jones. I, I can't remember Kelly Loeffler. One of those. Um, and I mean, it was awesome to one be a, be part of a collective team. Everyone was covering their respective campaigns. We were bringing it back to inform the viewers of what was happening in real time. And then you know, being in there in Atlanta, being in the uh, I believe Purdue's event was at the uh, uh, Republican headquarters, uh, right right there in Buckhead, and so. Man, it was it was exhilarating. It was fast moving. There was a lot going on. What I thought was really interesting, Chuck, was when we went up there. Our uh, weekend sports anchor Jack Patterson was there. Uh, we were there together, and when we were doing our live shot outside of the building where um, the campaign headquarters were, they were boarding up the windows, anticipating protest, and that was just something that I had never seen before ever in my entire life. And so as we're talking about this, you know, you have people behind us putting up these boards, you know, anticipating what could come regardless of whatever outcome it is. And so that was eye-opening um, within itself. But, you know, being up there that night, watching the results come in, you know, relaying that information back to this TV station, and then we all drive back super tired on Wednesday thinking, all right, is this thing going to go to a runoff? Um, and then, of course, like you said, that was, that was where it went, and the, yeah. the journey continued. How old are you? Just turned 25. Just turned 61. I look at politics one way. How do you look at politics? Define politics for me. Oh, gosh. I asked if you were going to ask me heavy-hitting questions, and you said no. 
that's not a heavy hitting. Question. I have to think about this. Well, I mean, I think politics affects all of us in some way, shape, or form. Um, but essentially, I think of politics as leadership, and you're you're given a set of leaders to choose from on who you think is the most qualified leader for the current job at the time. And uh, I think our job as journalists is t- to ask each leader their respective questions that they deserve of the moment and allow the viewers to decide who they think the best leader is going to be. That's interesting. I mean, you know, and I think you think like a lot of people your age and your generation, you know, you're looking at leadership. And me and I know some of the people my age are looking at it as a game. There's a winner. Politics is just like a sporting event. There's a winner and there's a loser. Mm -hmm. There, I mean, you know, politicians are very similar to athletes and the way they approach and stuff. You know, it, it's just interesting to kind of hear you saying leaders. I mean, it's about leadership. There's no question. I mean, elections have consequences. Mm-hmm. We've all found that out and stuff. But you just have to look at it differently. I mean, politics, you either like covering politics or you don't. And I love it. I have quickly found that out. I am looking forward to 2022. As I hear the announcements that are coming out about what what 2022 is going to look like. And I think, again, for us in Georgia, it is going to be all eyes on the Peach State once again. I do believe that. I think so, too. And I think, you know, I mean, depends on what happens with Kemp if Purdue enters that gubernatorial race. I think we'll see a lot of that. But you've also become very interested. No. Rex says that the Yankees are interested in Freeman. I bet they are. Yep, I Um, read that article earlier today. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, one of the things that has – you become interested in one of our oldest political stories. You have gravitated to Plains and to Jimmy Carter. More so than, you know, you've kind of bought it and sold it and you own it right now. Why – why has Plains and Jimmy Carter been so interesting to you? Oh, Chuck, I, I could talk forever on this. One, Plains has completely changed my life and my point of view in life, I think. Uh, but also at the same time, when I got here, when I met with Gene, he says, hey, we're going to assign you a couple geographic beats. We're going to give you a couple counties in our DMA, our, our, our market, people who watch our television station, and you'll go over there and find some stories. And within Sumter County was not too far from Plains. And that was where uh, the story of Jimmy Carter uh, began for me. I, I knew about Jimmy Carter, obviously, growing up and, you know, going to school, learning about the presidents. Um, but I think getting to Plains and being in his hometown, the place that he was born and raised, uh, goes off to the governor's mansion, goes off to the White House, but then chooses to come back to Plains, um, I think speaks highly about him and uh, where he comes from. And so getting a chance to go over there and, and meet the folks of Plains. and Why uh, do you like Plains? You love Plains. Oh, I love it. I mean, it's it's a, it's amazing. Uh, it's a small little town. Um, those people in Plains, um, they love one another, and they love President Carter. And uh, I think what I have come to appreciate a lot about Plains is you talk to Democrats and you also talk to Republicans in Plains, uh, but the same respect for President Carter and of that position um, is just, it's remarkable. They, they all share that same belief. Uh, they all share that same pride in having a uh, former president come from their small town uh, and what he's done in terms of putting planes um, on, on the national stage. You know, it's interesting because he is their neighbor. I mean, if you're a certain mm-hmm. age, he's Jimmy. If you're a certain age, he's Mr. Jimmy, Miss Rosalind and Miss, Mr. Jimmy. I mean, he's their neighbor and has that kind of been one of the things that's pulled you into it is that here's a guy who was a president who essentially is in is in a small peanut town just a neighbor a 100 percent, and you get that as soon as you get there i mean i think when we did the the story on his birthday um a couple of weeks ago back in october you know when i asked people to share their birthday wishes for president carter which is how I address him, you know, the way they addressed him was completely different. And it was exactly what you said. It was either Jimmy, it was Mr. Jimmy, or it was Uncle Jimmy. And so uh, I think that just speaks volumes of the folks there in Plains. These are people who grew up with him, uh, if not direct family members, but, you know, direct ties to his family uh, or direct ties to Roseland. And they all know one another. Um, 
and it just really is a, a special town, and especially when you start thinking about um, what, well, obviously what the Carter Center means to the country and the world, um, but also the Carter Plains Foundation, which is another foundation that, you know, President Carter wanted to launch to give back specifically to Plains, and these are just a couple of the stories that I was able uh, to find over there, and then I think even being there for the the, the street name change, when they renamed a street uh, for uh, for First Lady Rosalind Carter, uh, right there in Plains. This is this is literally a street that she grew up uh, walking down, going to school every morning. You can literally see the house that she grew up in, uh, and the school that she walked to. And so, to think all these years later, uh, she'd marry a guy who'd end up becoming uh, the president of the United States, and then they'd come back to Plains and still invest so much in the small town. There is so much pride that comes from the folks there. It really is remarkable. So, what's your favorite peanut food? Peanut butter ice cream, hands down. There's no debate about it. It's literally the best peanut butter ice cream I've ever had. And I actually like peanut butter ice cream. Like, I'm not just saying that because it's what is in Plains. But it is so good. It is a mix of peanuts, and it feels like vanilla ice cream. Like, it's not too heavy on the peanuts. It's like a smooth, subtle peanut flavor. And every single time, without a doubt, if I pass through Plains, I will stop and get peanut butter ice cream. You know, it's kind of cool is reporters through their careers, and this was my experience, find niches. You know, you find something you're good at and it becomes a niche, and niches can sometimes become careers. Are you starting to find that niche? You know, that's a good question. I would say no, not yet. I mean, I think there are stories I love covering right now, and there are stories that I would prefer they're not my favorite to cover right now. What do you not like covering? And I mean, I'm not saying rat something out, but give me an idea of stuff that you just, you know, you see it and you get in the car, you're going, I would rather not do this. I think there is, I don't know if there's one that I don't like covering, but the ones that are the most challenging for me right now are enterprising stories. I think there are some moments where I feel like I am on top of the world where I've come up with, you know, a couple different ideas in terms of enterprising stories. And you can speak to this. This is literally what, you know, one of the first speeches you gave us when we got here, us young journalists. Um, but a market like this thrives off enterprise reporting because there's not always a big story of the day or there's not always breaking news to run to. And so I think enterprising stories is probably one of the most challenging parts right now. Um, and, and a definition of enterprise for people might know what's an enterprise story. Um, it's not about a car. It's not about a car rental place. No. Enterprise, enterprise stories literally are where the reporter goes out on his or her own, mind sources or through whatever means available, come back with these stories that nobody else has. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that's you know, to me, it's the meat and potatoes of small town journalism. And, and this isn't small town. I mean, we're a two hundred and six thousand person community with, you know, almost 350 in the metro area. But enterprise stories are there. It could be something simple or something, you know, that's, you know, an in-depth piece that kind of takes down a government official or something. I mean, enterprise stories can mean a number of things. Exactly. And, and they're hard. And they're hard, and that's what I've learned. But uh, I think you and, and many of other folks who are in this newsroom have told us that, you know, enterprising is kind of the, the key to longevity in this business. If you can really figure out how to successfully, you know, enterprise uh, stories, you'll you'll be around for a while. But in terms of stories I love covering, uh, obviously politics is fun for me. Uh, I love going out and covering. Um, unfortunately, I don't like when it happens, but someone has to go out and tell the story. But severe weather is one that I will always volunteer to jump at. Um, what else do I enjoy covering? Uh, breaking news is obviously the top of my list. Any sort of uh, situation that's unfolding in real time and you have to kind of get out there and translate it back to what's happening. Uh, I think the adrenaline and um, the rush of that uh, is, is, is fun. It's stressful, but um, it's cool to, to, to be out there if you can get there first and, and, and talk about it. You and I have a similarity in that we both get stressed out about something, you know, in a story. And mine is, I don't want to get it wrong. And yours is kind of that too. I've picked up, I mean, you know, you know, I, the Mark Jones stuff, we were fixing things right up until 4.50 yesterday. Um, you know, how do you make sure you get it right? Ask a ton of questions. 
even if I have to repeat questions or even if I have to ask for more clarity, um, I want to make sure that there is a, uh, I mean, a, a verbatim to whatever I'm reporting. I need for it to have literally be almost said verbatim to that. Um, and then also at the same time, asking opinions. I think I've learned that you can't ask for everyone's opinion, uh, but it is always nice to have someone that you trust uh, like yourself or other senior members of our newsroom to, to look over or something. And, um, and I think even just asking you all the question that uh, or sharing with you my insecurity about what we're reporting um, just to highlight uh, the importance of, of this particular one thing that maybe I'm fixated on that I haven't been able to fully, you know, be comfortable with reporting or be comfortable with writing or the Senate structure of it. I mean, you've, you've been there before. I've, I've called you and said, Chuck, I need help with a headline. I have three in mind. What do you think? And in about eight to 10 seconds, you'll chew up and spit out all three of mine and completely rewrite it to the best headline ever. I know I I have to, I have to say it, just accept it. No, not true. But, uh, you know, headline, right. I mean, you know, the online piece of it is actually very close to what I did in my previous life. So I get that. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the things you said, I kind of disagree with early on is I think you are a pretty good writer. I think you're 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 developing a writing style, which most young people do in this in this profession. But one of my misconceptions coming over here was, well, writing is going to be easier. I've been writing long form narrative. You know, writing my writing life's about to get a lot easier. It's gotten harder. Mm-hmm. Writing for broadcast and writing for punch is more difficult than writing long-form narrative. And, you know, and if you can't write nothing, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this, but if you can't write well, nothing spins, nothing good happens if you start a story that isn't written well. 100%. And it's so hard because now you're writing two different forms. You're doing two different forms of writing. You're writing for TV, then you're writing for web and both of which are completely different forms of writing. I think when I first got here, you know, my being on deadline, you write for TV first, and then you fix your TV script to make it a web script. Uh, I'm learning now, those are two separate stories, and how, how you tell the story is going to be different on each of those mediums. And that has been a real challenge for me. I My comfort lies within writing for TV, uh, but I'm also learning that we live in an instant gratification society, and the chances of a friend or a family member seeing the story that I reported is most likely going to happen first on web than it is going to be on TV. And if there's a typo or mistake in it, they're going to send you a text. They are. I'll never forget when I posted my very first web article here. My grandmother called me at 645, 15 minutes after I got off work, my first day here, and said, I want to let you know there was a couple things misspelled in that article. What do you call your grandmother? Nana. So what did you say to Nana? I said, oh, so it has begun. <laughs> she said, well, I just, I, I'm not making fun of you. I just wanted to let you know. And then I was like, well, here we go. This is off to the races we are. And your worst critic is your Nana. Yep. And you so know. now when she calls me, the first thing I'll think of, have I posted a recent article? Is there a typo in it? <laughs> One year later, here we are. Uh, you're fortunate that you're close, close enough to family. How important is family to you? Oh, it's very important. I mean, I think, you know, most recently my grandfather passed away unexpectedly about a month ago. And, I mean, that has completely wrecked me uh, in a way that none of us just saw coming. And so, um, you know, I think looking back on this year when I was applying to jobs all across the country and I wasn't getting anything back, I kept asking why, why, why. Um, And now, a year later, it makes perfect sense as to why I landed in Columbus because of, you know, what was on the horizon that I didn't know about at the time. With the passing of my grandfather, it's all the more important for me to be close to my family. Um, And I think I just got really lucky in a sense of applying to jobs across the country. And the one job that calls back is the one that's an hour away from family and two hours away from friends in Atlanta. Um, And that's just something that I got really lucky in. And uh, I don't relate to when it comes to the other young journalists in the room, because um, the ones that I came in with had to move really, really far away. New Jersey, Texas, North Carolina. Yep. And so uh, I have all the respect for them to be able to pack up and literally completely move to a new place. While I moved to a new city, I definitely did not move to a new state. And you can get, I mean, literally, you can, you probably know 96 pretty well now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
100%. It's an easy. I mean, it's not even a hard drive home. I mean, it literally, it's one road. <laughs> well, you got You do got to jockey around Fort Valley a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, my, but my grandmother lives in Fort Valley. Oh. So, so she lives, like, as I'm coming into town. So, I mean, it is literally right there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. that is, so she's literally an hour from you. Yes. Yep. Because that's an easy drive that way. I want to talk about your part-time job real quick. Uh, you ended up, if I had to rank on a scale of 1 to 10 part-time jobs, and, you know, we've all done them, you ended up with a 30 as a part-time job on a scale of 1 to 10. What are, what are we ranking these on in terms of what? what just just cool job. Oh, yeah. Oh, what, without, without a doubt. Okay. By far the, yes, I got lucky, especially when you consider what happened a couple of weeks ago. Okay, so the year started January, February. You get a call from the Braves, right? Yeah, so um, actually. And they didn't want you to be a left-handed relief pitcher. No, they did not. I did lobby for that. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> they said they didn't need it at the time. Um, so to backtrack, um, I emailed them and said, hey, um, you know, there's a chance I could be available this season if you need any help. And uh, they hit back and said, we're, a, we're aware you moved to Columbus. How do you see this unfolding? And I said, well, technically, I get off work at 12, which means I could be to the stadium by 2 or 3, no traffic. And I said, I could do the little part-time shift and drive back to Columbus. And they said, okay, well, we'll consider it, and we'll keep you posted. Um, and then about... A couple weeks later, they invited me to audition for the role that is the pregame host slash plaza host of the Atlanta Braves. And Jumbotron so, guy. Essentially. Um, it's called Braves Vision at Truist Park. Jumbotron uh, guy. Sure. <laughs> um, and so I got in trouble for calling it a Jumbotron. It's, in fact, Braves Vision. Uh, Braves Vision guy. So Braves Vision is the, the fan experience department that puts on all those cool videos that you see. Um, and so that's the department that it was. I was invited to audition for it. But what most people don't know is I actually auditioned for that job in 2020 before I moved to Columbus. And I made it essentially to the final round. And then the pandemic set in. And they said, hey, we're not sure what's going to happen with this. Sit tight. Waited all the way through July. And then they said, hey, unfortunately, it's not looking like we're going to have fans in the stands. So we wouldn't need a pregame fan experience host. And I said, I completely understand. And so when I came down to Columbus in September of that year, I thought it was in the past. I thought, man, that was that was a cool opportunity, but didn't quite turn into anything, and that's okay. COVID loss. COVID loss. A lot of us lost a lot of things in COVID. If that was my loss, then, you know, I'll take it. And so fast forward to January when the opportunity was presented again. I was really excited about it. I came and I did the audition. It was by far the hardest audition that I've ever done. I uh, showed up there to Truist Park, and I was told – as I'm walking to where we're going to do the audition, that I'm going to do a mock run of the Home Depot tool race and that it's going to be completely live. There are no uh, mess-ups. There are no rehearsals. It's once you get one chance. If you mess up, you keep going, you open the show, do the Home Depot tool race, and you close out. If you're a Braves fan, you're very familiar with the Home Depot tool race. And so, uh, thankfully, Instinct kind of kicked in, uh, did that, and then the next part of the job was we went to the clubhouse store. Who won the ho Who won the race? Oh, gosh, the Hammer? I, 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 yeah, Hammer and Hank, definitely. Hammer, Hammer yeah. won. Um, and then we went over to the clubhouse store, and I had to pick three different items to talk about. And basically, I could film that one a couple of times, but it was all the way filmed from start to finish. You couldn't have any edits in between. And so we did that, and that was the audition. And... Um, after that, turned to the videos, left the ballpark, and then I think two weeks later I got the call, and they were like, hey, we're interested. Can you can you do this? And that was an 81-game commitment that I had to commit to, uh, every home game at Truist Park. 81-game commitment before the miracle. Before the miracle. Before the miracle. And then, you know, what was funny was, you know, our last regular season um, – uh, homestand ended, I think, on October 2nd. And so the whole time, me, um, I was kind of basically chalking it up to the season will technically end at the end of September. We're not going to count those extra two days in October. Ends at the end of September because when you are traveling to Truist Park in the dog days of the summer, you're like, I just need motivation. I just need to see the end is in sight. And so I kept telling my How friends. How bad do you hate 285? Oh, it's the worst. It's worse. Okay. 
It's, I mean, it's the absolute worst. It's unpredictable. Um, there's there, there's literally traffic on it for no reason. You're like, I don't understand why I see brake lights. Nothing happened. Um, one of the first days I remember driving up to Truist Park, I think it was in May, an interstate sign fell and had stopped traffic for, I think, somewhere close to six hours. And I thought, is this what I really signed up for? The stress of not knowing if I'm going to make it there on time because of the chance of an interstate sign falling in the middle of the interstate. Anyways, so <laughs> I thankfully make, I make it there on time. Um, and you get through the summer, and you know, and then July comes around. We lose Acuna, which was incredibly heartbreaking, gut-wrenching. And then, you know, we're kind of thinking, what does the rest of the season look like for us? You know, I think at the beginning. Pretty damn good. Yeah, if, you, if, if, if we can only see what was on the horizon. Uh, and then we end up going to uh, end up winning the, winning the East, and then we end up uh, taking on the Brewers, taking on the Dodgers. We get it back to that 3-1 situation like last year. I think a lot of people were thinking, oh, man, is it gonna, are we going to do what we did last year? You know, we're up three. Dodgers come back and take it, end up going to the World Series and winning it all. We did not do that. We ended up beating the Dodgers. And then going to the World Series and indeed winning it all. It was the best month of my life. I got a stupid question. Ask me. Do you get a ring? You know, I don't know. Everyone has been asking me that. I'm trying to walk with the expectation. I'm not expecting one. So if it happens, I would just be floored. Um, being a part of the parade was... You got to be in the championship parade. You should get a ring. We need to start a Blake Needs a Ring campaign. <laughs> You know, you need a chance. I mean, it would be awesome. I mean, you're technically a part-time employee, right? You're not a full-time employee. Okay. Yeah. Technically game day staff is what it's called. So who knows? Um, being in the parade was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. It, I didn't even know that I was going to be involved in the parade in any You almost capacity. fell off the bus. Yeah, there was definitely a couple times that that happened. It was, well, I mean, did you see how fast they were driving? What the heck was that? Parades do not go 65 miles an hour. Not even in Atlanta. It's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Listen, I think they just were in a rush to get to Cobb County. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. Um, like, but like, I can tell you that as someone who was in it, yes, it, I think it was definitely going that fast. I was watching it, and it was like you thought you were going to see live decapitation because <laughs> they were going under these tree limbs and, like, the president had to duck and held in the trophy, and it was like – but it was the funniest thing I've ever seen because it almost looked like they had speeded it up, but they hadn't. Yeah, no, but they hadn't. I first thought the first clip that I saw was a, a, a clip that was sped up, but it wasn't. It was, unfortunately, real time how fast it was going. That was like, come on, let's get out of downtown Atlanta. We are going to Cobb County. Going boy. to Cobb County. You know, there were so many moments along the way. Like, I'm standing there getting off the first uh, truck, waiting to get on the bus to drive to Cobb County. And I'm sitting there waiting next to the bus, and, you know, casually Freddie Freeman just walks up and just says hello and gets on gets on the bus. Um, and then, you know, we're waiting to see where we're supposed to go. And then we walk on the bus, and I walk on the bus, and there's Freddie Freeman right there. And I said, am I on the right bus? And they said, yes, you're on the right bus. Just keep walking. And so I, I go to the back, and they're just – You didn't have a conversation with Freddie? No, no. Hey, to heck with Freddie. I don't care about Freddie. Freddie can do whatever he wants to do. I say hey. sign Charlie. I want to sign okay. Charlie Freeman. Okay. I love Charlie. I, that was the coolest deal. Did you ever see Freddie and Charlie out there just kind of knocking around at the park some days? Yeah, all the time. I mean, even in the parade. They, I mean, he was right there. Charlie hangs with Freddie a lot. Down there. Was, how was Charlie? Four? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but you could tell they are just having, yeah. I mean, they're just like dad and son. I mean, Charlie acts more like a big leaguer than half the guys <laughs> in the major leagues. I mean, he walks out there and anyway, I digress. I love that the, during postseason, whatever, uh, home games, uh, fell on a Sunday, you'd see Freddie going to support Charlie at his game and then heading up to, uh, Truist Park for his game. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, I hate to tell Charlie this, but life may have peaked at four. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. mean, I mean, I can't imagine a better experience. I, I mean, mean, the kid wakes. I mean, uh, I, I want to be Charlie when I grow up. I think up. his life is going to continue to peak. I, probably, you know. I mean, got a great swing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's already got an agent. Um Speaking of which, I'm sure his dad does too right now. Good gosh, I'd hate to I know. It. It's the conversation we're all 
just kind of dreading. I saw his name was trending on Twitter earlier today and just went and read it. And, you know, the, Yan- just, the Yankees are interested. Yeah. Which, I mean, he's a free agent now. So, I mean, I think the interests were. They should have signed him, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So. Yeah. It's I think, you know, I think he's made himself clear. He wants to be a Brave. The Braves want Freddie. Uh, I'm hopeful they're going to reach a deal. Well, let's hope they figure something out. I mean, there's certainly the model. There's mm-hmm. certainly the chipper model that he seems to be following to some degree. And so hopefully hopefully that'll play in. I mean, there's something to be said for a guy who spends a whole career in one uniform or 400 different uniforms but with the same name on it because Braves wear a bunch of different combos. Um, what's your favorite Braves uniform combination? Uh, the red out by far. You like the red top? Um, and there's nothing quite like it. Well, at the beginning when they had the uh, the retro uh, vintage ones that they were paying, um, that they did at the beginning of the season, those were amazing. What What's your favorite part of the of a Braves game? Oh, gosh. Um, I really, really love – oh, man, there's so many different ones. The first one that comes to my mind is Hometown Hero, where we, where we honor uh, those who've served our country in some way, shape, or form. Um, that one's always a really, really cool moment. And basically, did you get to do some of those? So those actually happen in game. And so, the, so you don't do any in game stuff. No. So I filled in for Mark a couple of times. Uh, Mark is the in game host for the Braves. Uh, I filled in for him a couple of times. But there are certain segments that happen that you know neither of us are involved in. And Hometown yeah. Hero is one of the ones where it just tells the story of someone who served yeah. our country, and then um, they're there. Uh, at the game, at the bottom right behind home plate, and the camera shot is panning up at them, and it just makes them look larger than life, and you, the stadium is roaring and, you know, celebrating them. That one's always a really cool one. Um, Mine's similar to yours. I like I like Sundays and God Bless America. Mm-hmm. Yep. What, what's his name? I just went brain dead. Um, I can see Timothy. Him. Timothy, yeah. yeah. Ma- nice guy. I've met him. Oh, a very nice guy. I didn't get to the bottom of this, but I'm pretty sure we share the same birthday because on the parade, the day of the parade, it was my birthday and everyone kept telling me happy birthday. But I also kept hearing another happy birthday near the front of the parade. And I'm pretty sure they were telling Timothy happy birthday. So if I get to the bottom of this and I find out that we have the same birthday, I'm going to hold on to that one forever. Dude's got some amazing pipes. He's amazing. A very, very nice guy. Um, I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, there's so many people a part of that organization uh, that are just really remarkable. And you get a chance to, I mean, Matthew Kaminsky, the guy who's on the keys, you know, in between the innings, getting a chance to get to know him. Um, Casey, who is the voice of the Braves, you know, the chop house gates are now open. You know, that guy that you hear ring into the ballpark. All these guys are just top-notch individuals. And so um, that was really cool to to meet them. And and the list goes on. Well, that's uh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, that's kind of you know. I started boycotting the Braves when they left when they left Turner Field, and then I went to a game right before the pandemic, uh, and then obviously didn't go any last year, and then went to two this year. I had a friend who has season tickets, ended up at two this year, and I will say this reluctantly. Um, I like Truist Park. Mm. I like the feel. I'm an inner city park guy. I want the parks and the stadiums that are in the middle of the town, and there's something to be said for that. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I read something in the AJC the other day, that move to Cobb County benefited both the neighborhood around that Turner Field <laughs> and the way Georgia State stepped into it, and then also it benefited the Braves. I mean, I think – you know, that it may have ended up being a pretty good decision. It didn't feel like it seven, six, seven years ago when it was announced. So, well, we're at the end, near the end of the show. We're at a point in my podcast, and I don't know if you listen to my podcast. You probably don't because you're a busy, busy man. No, it's because I go to bed at 6 p.m., but continue. Okay, well, yeah, you do need your beauty <laughs> rest, don't you? Uh, I'm going to call you tomorrow morning at 2.30. How about that? Uh, I won't answer. Okay. But go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> And if you wake up, Kathy, it's on you. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're at a point now where I call it turn the tables. Okay. You get to ask me a question. Ooh. I've been asking you questions. Uh, Easy. Um, for someone like you, I mean, when, when someone like myself comes into a newsroom, it's very clear that you are a senior reporter. You're very good at what you do. I appreciate how much time you take to invest in us young folks, even when we ask you a hundred 
questions, and I consistently make you buy my coffee uh, in the morning. I spent more money on your coffee <laughs> than anything else. It's one of my most proudest moments. <laughs> I've, I finally figured out how to do it. Uh, uh, I won't tell you my ways. Anyways, um, I'm very curious. You know, in your opinion, what leads to longevity in this business? That's a good question. Um, longevity is a dual-edged sword. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. I know people that spend a long time in jobs they hate. Um, and in that case, longevity may not be the world's best thing. Right. But I think the key to longevity you know, when I was in the newspaper, at the newspaper, I spent 30 years at the Ledger almost, just shy. I had 14 or 15 different jobs. I mean, I would change jobs. I, I worked in the business department. I worked investigative reporter. I worked sports. I worked news. I mean, I did a bunch of different things. Never lost my vacation. That was the cool part about it. You know, I changed jobs but kept my vacation. Longevity is a state of mind more than anything else. If you're not happy doing it, longevity's terrible. Mm. If you're happy, longevity's best thing that ever happened to you. You know, and hopefully, you know, hopefully you'll get to experience some of that as sort of longevity, living, you know, kind of getting to do what you want to do for a long time. And, you know, and mine's a mixed bag because David Hart just walked by. David threw me a, a lifeline three years ago almost to the day, um, and gave me an opportunity to go TV side. I don't think I'd be happy right now if I were still where I was. I love what mm. I do now. It's hard. Mm -hmm. It's harder work. But part of the reason I like it is because of the kids that come through, the like you and others. Um, Y'all have kept me young, and there's a trade-off. I mean, you know, Many of y'all can help me with technology stuff. I can help you with sourcing and reporting stuff. So it's, you know, it's a quid pro quo. I mean, no question. 100%. Uh, and that was, if I had to correct my question and ask again, I would ask, you know, what leads to longevity in still finding joy in the job? Because I do think that the excitement that you have in it shows every single day. There's no one that wakes up more excited to, to start the day and find, find the story of the day than, than you. And I think um, as a young reporter coming in, still struggling with the enterprising efforts, still struggling to find people to talk to me. It, it shows what it can be if you just kind of put your head down and get to it. On that note, uh, if you could pick your favorite story ever, what would it be? Uh, gender integration of the U.S. Army Ranger School. I covered it in 2015. First two women. I got an embed. I was one of three reporters myself. The... Uh, Washington Post, the New York Times, us, and Christian Science Monitor. We were the ones that got the embeds. General Scott Miller, an American hero who's just retired, um, gave us the embed at the Ledger Inquirer. And I went to all three different schools, Fort Benning, up in the mountains of uh, near, near uh, Dahlonega, and then down in the swamps of Florida. And I got to see Shea Haver. And Kristen Grice become the first two women to uh, to earn the Ranger tab. It was a very controversial story at the time. A lot of old Rangers didn't like the idea that women were about to tab. And Army had gone to school on the Marine Corps' failure in gender integration, and Miller and them did it right. And they're getting close to 100 right now, 100 women graduating from Army Ranger School. And I think that's going to be a story before the too much longer. But I... You know, it was interesting. I met great people. One of the people I met was Gail Lamont. Gail is a New York Times bestselling author. She has written uh, great books, including Ashley's War, which is about to be a movie. And Gail and I were in the Florida swamps, and we were watching the them get ready to go do an air jump, air assault exercise, and they were doing the planning, you know, in like a – semi-jungle planning area and they were doing the models and all that stuff that they do before assault and Shay Haver uh, Apache helicopter pilot had lived across the street from me while she was training to go to school I knew her I didn't leave I know I knew her she didn't want anybody to know I knew her and she was going through and she's sitting there doing the stuff and I'm sitting there with Gail 
And Shay looks over at me and winked at me. And Gail goes, you know her. I said, no, all the rangers wink at me. And she's like, no, you know that you know that woman. I then I was like, well, nobody knows I know her, but I know her. Yeah. So, yeah, great story. It, 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 it ended up being nominated by McClatchy for a Pulitzer. The coverage, it's, it's far and away. And, you know, I got to see history. Uh, and then Colonel Puckett. I mean, military stuff's probably become my bread and butter. But this isn't about me. It's about you, and we've gone 50 minutes. And oh, I wanted to ask the, two more questions. No, you can't ask any more questions, Dang young Blake. I guess uh, I'll have to ask him that coffee when he purchases it tomorrow. Yeah, I'm sure. I'll be buying your coffee. Actually, you, I do. I can't You are tomorrow. the biggest tightwad I've ever met, by the way. You're a cheap dude. You really know that. You're a cheap. No, I'm just efficient. <laughs> Our guest has been Blake Eason, morning host of WRBL. What's the morning show called? I always News three this morning. News three this morning. He co-host of there of that show. Blake has been nice enough to talk to us about journalism, Braves baseball, and just Blake. Blake is Blake. Um, you can watch the Chuck Williams show Tuesdays from seven to eight, and it's on WRBL.com. You can also get it at your spot at your uh, podcast things. Dylan Hansen, our outstanding director. Dylan. Dylan's the man, is he not, Blake? He is the man. It's been an honor to the be only a reason, substitute guest on your guys' show. The only reason you like Dylan is he's one of the few guys here younger than you are. Um, <laughs> and way more talented than I could ever be. <laughs> Dylan's going to be okay. paying, for all, all, paying all our bills. So. Okay, uh, maybe he'll start buying your coffee. Uh, uh, okay, podcasts are on Spotify and iHeart and you know where. And then social media, Twitter at Chuck Williams. Uh, Facebook, Chuck Williams WRBL, and then obviously Instagram, Chuck Williams 0999. I have not upgraded Instagram in a long time. Well, our podcast podcast guest has been Blake Eason. Blake, thank you for joining us, man, and we hope you come back next week for another edition of the Chuck Williams Show.